Well, how are you feeling this morning? Good? I mean, honestly, that's, that's a real question. It's a self-examination question. I'm curious to know if you are in touch with how you are feeling this morning. Were you aware as you walked in how you felt? You know, me personally, I'm feeling a little bit of that yellow pollen congestion. I feel very peaceful this morning, but overall I feel a strong sense of expectation that the Holy Spirit is doing something in this Lent that's unusual, uh, at least unusual from my experience. So I'm, I showed up, I woke, I went to bed last night, I woke up this morning thinking, God's going to do something. He's doing something, and I'm expectant of that. That's how I feel. But before I asked how you were feeling, were you aware of how you were feeling? Or did you have to stop and think, how do I feel right now? Now, the reason I ask you that is because I'm, I'm, I'm plumbing self-examination for EQ, emotional quotient. You've heard of IQ, right? The intelligence quotient, the IQ test, or our high school students have to take the SAT and the ACT. Tests like that measure smarts. EQ is a measurement of emotional maturity or emotional intelligence, emotional quotient. And by definition, here's a definition I came across, EQ is the ability to identify, assess, and then manage our feelings. So identify, what am I feeling? Assess, is this a good feeling or not a good feeling? Does it have a positive res result likely or not? And then manage it. How, does, how do I not become totally under the control of my own feelings? So that's EQ. And the reason that I, I bring that up is because we're in this series, right, of, of preaching through the values of grace. And last week we talked about a personal walk and knowing the Lord personally, a conversational relationship with Him. And this week, the second one on our vision diagram is emotional health. And emotional health is important. And let me tell you why. As Dan already started the service with, the entire law is summed up in this. Love the Lord your God with your entire person, your heart, your soul, your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Those two laws summarize the entire Old Testament and the New Testament, frankly. And how can you love God with your whole self if it doesn't include your feelings? So if you're not aware of how you're feeling and you're not processing those feelings before the Lord, you're not loving him with your whole self. It's a part of you that's compartmentalized and pushed off over here, and it's not brought into your worship. Think for a minute about King David and the Psalms that he wrote and how much of the wide spectrum of human emotion he brought into his prayer life. There are some Psalms where he's even talking to his own soul. You know, bless the Lord, O my soul. He, tell, he has to tell his soul to bless the Lord. His mind is saying, you should bless the Lord, and his soul's dealing with something. He's saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. He's talking to himself, and he's processing this in prayer. He's loving God with his whole person. I think it's important to be in touch with our emotions also, for the sake of the community. If we're to love our neighbor as ourself, then we have to be aware of how our feelings are affecting our relationships. And a lot of times we're not aware of these things. I desire for our church to be a place of deep belonging, that you as a member of this church would feel this is your community, that you are known here, you are loved here and accepted here, and you know, love, and accept others who are here. That community is the picture of how the church is supposed to be. And to be honest, it's missional. A church that is like that is attractive to people who don't have that kind of community, and they want to be in a place. You know, the Cheers song from that old TV show where everybody knows your name. I mean, you want to go where you're known and accepted. But a lack of emotional health will tear that down. It will kill the sense of community. So where there's a lack of emotional health, the community will suffer. Now, my main point this morning is that Jesus exposes 
and then heals our negative emotions. And my outline for this sermon is, I'm going to look at the text that Ross just read of Martha and Mary and that interaction with Jesus. Um, and then we're going to look at a key principle of how emotional systems work and that ro- the role of a certain principle in communities. And then the problem specifically of anxiety. So the text, a key principle, and anxiety. So let's look at the text. It's Luke chapter 10, verse 38 to 42. It's only, it's only a few verses long. So if you want to turn with me there, I'm going to um, expose this text here and then see some things. This is a very famous text because it's been stereotyped. Martha and Mary. And people make these stereotypes like Martha's type A, Mary's type B. <laughs> Martha is a thinker. Mary's a feeler. Martha is more task-oriented. Mary's more relational. Um, You could go on with many others. One that I least like is that Martha was focused on secular activity, whereas Mary was focused on sacred activity. As if cooking is somehow not something that could be sacred to God, and sitting at the feet of Jesus is not something that you can have a secular secular heart with. It's a false dichotomy. You can do all things to God's glory. It can be a holy thing like Brother Lawrence learned doing the dishes in his monastery, that he was practicing the presence of God as he washed his brother's dishes. So I don't want to separate secular from sacred. But there's all these um, stereotypes, and I think they're unfair. I want to say they're unfair of these, these two sisters because there's five verses here. And we're going to make these huge sweeping judgments and put them in boxes and type them out, stereotype them out. And and it's just not fair. What we do know from John chapter 11, when their brother Lazarus dies, is that both of these women love the Lord Jesus deeply and both of them believe in him. That becomes very clear. And, And they were his friend. So I think we have to be careful. However, each of us has bad days. And Martha was having a bad day here. Um... So let's look at the text here. It starts out with Martha extending an invitation. And I want you to notice that it was Martha and not Martha and Mary who did the invitation. So there was, verse 38, as they, meaning the disciples, went on their way, Jesus entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Martha was the matriarch in this situation. Mary was probably her younger sister. Martha extended hospitality. And in that day, for travelers especially, This invitation meant room and board. Come eat in my house. Come stay in my house while you're in my town until you go on to where you're going next. And Jesus did not travel light. He had a dozen disciples with him at least and crowds following them. So this was a big hospitality moment that Martha opened up her home for. Um, And if you read a little further, it says that in verse uh, 40, that Martha was distracted with much serving. The, The literal literal Greek word there is drawn away. She was pulled away from Jesus with much serving to put on this, this house party. And um, she, was, she was worked up. So what we find is that uh, Jesus exposes her heart condition, and then he tells her something about what's most important. So Jesus exposes and heals our negative emotions. Lord, don't you care that I'm doing all the work and my sister's just sitting there? Tell her to help me. That's, that's what happens. Her anxiety gets ratcheted up to the point where she goes to her guest and imposes on him to intercede between the two of them. This is not the first time that Jesus is being pulled into some kind of a relational triangle. And it's not just women, it's men too. I noticed if you just flip your Bible over one more page, when you get to chapter 12, in verse 13 of chapter 12, it says this. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, 
tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to him, to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. See what Jesus did there? He refused to get pulled into their conflict and he exposed their heart. You're fighting over money. Coveting has caused this. It's wrecking your relationship. I didn't come to be the arbitrator and the judge over you. Don't pull me into this and be careful about money. That's, that was his response to those two brothers. So what's his response here? He says to Martha, and I think he says it in a kind voice. Don't, don't let my intensity and excitement this morning somehow paint it in the wrong picture. I think he was very soft with her and said, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And your sister has chosen the better portion and it won't be taken from her. Which is him exposing Martha's heart to her, showing her something. What are these many things that she was upset and angered about or troubled about? I don't know. I can guess. I mean, we can speculate a little bit. There probably was a typical household conflict going on, like every one of us who has a house, the dishes in the sink, the laundry basket not put into the drawer, and you fill in the blank. You know what it was like. And it was probably going on between the two sisters before Jesus even entered into their town. So there was something that was bubbling up there, and Jesus and this, this big house party caused it to come to a head. Or maybe... Um, Maybe Martha wasn't quite focused on what she needed to be focused on. She was thinking, I want to have the perfect dinner party. I really want the Lord to be impressed with me. And so there was a motive problem there. I don't just want to serve the Lord. I want him to say, that Martha puts on a great party. You should taste her chicken. It's amazing, right? Maybe there was some of that. Or maybe, um, maybe she was only being polite. Maybe she was really tired and she needed to rest. And she thought, I have to invite him in. He's my friend. He's coming through. He doesn't get here often. Jesus, why don't you stay with me? But she didn't have the capacity for it. And she did it out of obligation and didn't have what she needed. And then when her sister wasn't helping her, she got angry. I don't know. I'm speculating there. But you, you guys understand how this happens because it happens to each one of us all the time. Constantly. Constantly these situations arrive for us. And inner turmoil is the situation. And that's why I asked the question of, are you aware of how you're feeling? Because it's quite possible to get to that place where you burst out about something, not even aware of what led up to it. You weren't in touch with your feelings and it was building up, building up, and then boom, it exploded. And you're embarrassed that it exploded. Maybe that's where you are right now. I mean, maybe you actually walked into church this morning and you're like this close to boiling over. And if somebody just says the wrong thing or they say the peace of the Lord be with you the wrong way, watch out. <laughs> right? I mean... Because that's how emotions work. I mean, the, the anxiety can start to build up. So that's the situation here in this text. Now let me go to a key principle for communities and healthy families and healthy systems. This is counseling therapy um, thinking. This is family systems thinking, in fact. The idea is called an emotional triangle. Therapists talk about this all the time. And um, here's the definition. When two people in a system are at odds... They will triangle a third in to stabilize their own relationship, oftentimes unaware they're doing it. So what, what Martha actually wanted to have happen because of the anxiety between her and her sister is she wanted Jesus to go and stand next to her and go, you know what, Mary, it really isn't fair. You're just sitting there and she's doing all this work. Come on, go in the kitchen and help her. And then Martha goes, see, I told you, I told you, I told you. And her anxiety, her anxiety goes on to Jesus now. So now Jesus has a conflict with Mary, and Mary's upset. You see how that works? So the triangle 
was formed by pulling Jesus into it and then passing her anxiety onto him. But he doesn't take the bait. He doesn't do that. In fact, what Jesus does is impressive. And he does this a lot of times in a number of places. He, first of all, he stays connected in the relationship. A lot of us, and I will stereotype here, men in particular avoid relational triangles. And we do it by distancing ourselves, which hurts the community, by the way. So we flee. I've never felt such a strong urge to change the oil in the car right now, honey, as I feel. We'll talk about it later. And we get out of it. We get out of the situation. So Jesus could have said, you know, Martha, I, this, this is obviously really putting you out. On my way into town, there was this tax collector, and he said, any time I can stay at his house, I think it'd probably be better if we go over there. Guys, let's go. Come on, grab your stuff. We're out of here. That kills the community. It breaks down the, the family. It breaks down the relationship because it just, it just avoids and it distance. He doesn't do that. He stays connected there. And then another thing he does is he, he has his own non-anxious presence. He refuses to let his anxiety get ratcheted up. He won't take hers on to himself. The reason he's able to do that is because he is utterly clear about his own purpose and his own boundaries. He did not come, as he said to the two brothers, I did not come to be a judge or arbitrator between you. I did not come to do family counseling. I came to seek and save the lost and die on a cross. And he does only what his father tells him. So he had good boundaries in his life. So he was able to in, engage with Martha without being pulled in or becoming anxious about it. He was able to regulate his own anxiety because he knew his limits. A third thing he does is he resists the triangle. He refuses to get into the wrong conversation in the triangle, but he does have a conversation and a relationship with Martha. And so he addresses her. She's the one who came to him. So he talks to her. And he says only to her what needs to be said. Martha, I see that you are really anxious, not just about this, but about many things. And here's the reality, you know, if she had gone and sat at Jesus' feet and Martha, and Mary had gone into the kitchen, Martha probably would have been sitting there thinking about, Mary's doing it wrong. I know she's going to mess up the, the ham and scalped potatoes. I mean, she, like the anxious heart was the problem, not who's doing which job. And Mary might likely have been able to be in the kitchen thinking, well, I would like to hear his teaching, but I get to make dinner for the Lord. What an awesome blessing. This is cool to get to serve God this way. Maybe he'll like what I make. Maybe he won't, but at least he'll, he'll know that I love him. I'm going to do this to his glory. She could be in there with the right heart and not anxiety, and Martha could have been over there in the right place with the wrong heart and wrong anxiety. And so Jesus addresses that. I see that your heart is worried and upset about many things. He, he finds the heart of the issue. He exposes it, and then he heals it by saying one thing, one thing is needed. And he, and he says, Mary has chosen the better portion and it's not going to be taken from her. Gus and I were talking about, wherever Gus is, Gus and I were talking about the City Slickers movie where Curly holds up his hand and says, one thing with his glove on. That's what you got to figure out is the one thing for you. Well, here, the one thing is Jesus, having your life centered on him and his purposes. That's what helps you regulate your anxiety and not be pulled into these triangles. Now, worry is another word for anxiety. Fear, concern is a nice way to put it. I'm really concerned with something at work. Meanwhile, your stress level's like up to here. Concern or stress, this is common to all of us. This is just a part of life, and we have to learn how to do this, and a healthy com community will get good at managing it and dealing with it. So here are some things that, that worry does when we allow worry to get a hold of us. These are some quotes about it. Worry is a small trickle of fear that meanders through the mind until it cuts a channel into which all other thoughts are drained. 
We let fear just start cutting a path into our thought life until everything else just falls into that rut. That channel is cut, and worry it, it does that. Another thing that I liked is uh, E. Stanley Jones, the missionary to India, who had huge anxiety at first. He said this, worry is the interest we pay today on tomorrow's troubles. I like that one. And the third one I don't like, but I'm going to share it with you anyway because it cuts to the heart. Worry is a form of atheism for it betrays a lack of faith and trust in God. I mean, really, if God is God, then what am I worried about? But if I have worry, then I'm not trusting in God. I'm questioning his presence in the situation, which is a form of atheism. There is no God. So I have to worry about this. So um, we, we really want to learn how to manage these anxieties when they come. And God has said a number of times in, in places in the scriptures, don't fear, be not afraid, don't let your hearts be troubled, don't be anxious. All through the scriptures that's in there, tons of places. The Sermon on the Mount's a great place where it talks about, consider the, the lilies of the field and the birds of the air, God feeds them, how much more will he take care of you? Remember, he's God, he's in charge. The scriptures keep pointing us to these promises that will help us. Feelings are not entirely on their own. They can be nurtured or they can be starved out. And your thoughts have the ability to do that. You can choose to think a whole lot in the wrong direction. You know, we, we now have teenage drivers in our household. I could sit at home and every time I hear an ambulance start thinking a certain thought. I could choose to think about that and start to stir up fear and anxiety. Or when I hear an ambulance, I could say, God, I pray for whoever that ambulance is going for. And I thank you that you are in charge of everything. Your kingdom is never in trouble. I can choose to say and think that, or I can start picturing the car rolled over and the fear and the guy, you know, the, I have a choice. You have a choice of what you think about. And so we can, we can ha start to affect our, our feelings by what we think. So here are some things to think. Like I just said, the kingdom of God is never in trouble. Do you believe that? Ever. There is no question as to whether or not the kingdom of God is going to prosper. I, I, I don't have to worry about that. I already know how the book ends. He's already said we are more than conquerors in him. In the end, God wins. He's already defeated it. Sin, Satan, the world already defeated. He's just cleaning up some things before he comes back. It's already secure. The kingdom of God is not in trouble. That calamity or whatever that's come into your life did not catch God off guard. So you can say... God, this surprised the heck out of me, but it didn't surprise you. That's a good thought that helps manage anxiety. Or another one that I really like is the universe is a perfectly safe place to be for a Christian. Not that that doesn't mean you, it'll be easy. Life is hard, but God is good. And he won't let anything come to you that you're not prepared for. He will go with you through those things and come into them. He will deliver you through the valley of the shadow of death and all these things. So you can say to yourself, it's perfectly safe for me because of who my God is. You know, in this, um, this month, Billy Graham passed away at 99. And so I was interested when I came across something from his wife, Ruth, from way earlier in their ministry. They were traveling in Europe and they had a son, they have a son, um, who was making bad decisions and was doing high-risk things and was causing the typical parent anxiety that, that young adults sometimes do. And um, she, Ruth was starting to be overcome with a fear she described it as a current of fear 
that came like a galloping, like an electric shock. And as she laid in bed and tried to pray, she suffered from galloping anxiety, she called it. One fear piling up on another. And she looked at the clock and it was three o'clock in the morning. And she knew she wasn't going to be able to go back to sleep. So she just laid there and started praying. And then the Lord said to her, or she said, seemed to say to her. Remember last week we talked about God speaking to us. She heard this in her mind. Quit studying the problems and start studying the promises. That's what she heard. So you know where she turned? To my favorite benediction. She went to the passage that we read this morning, Philippians 4. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. And she realized, I've left out part of the ingredient. I've not been thankful. I've been praying and, and knocking on heaven's door and bringing my supplications to the Lord and asking him for help and whatever, but I haven't been thankful. And so she wrote this. She said, um, I began to thank God for giving me this child I loved so dearly in the first place. I even thanked him for the difficult spots which had taught me so much. And you know what happened? It was as if someone turned on the light in my mind and heart and the little fears and worries that had been nibbling away at the darkness like mice and cockroaches hurriedly cover, scuttled for cover. That was when I learned that worship and worry cannot live in the same heart. They are mutually exclusive. Worship and worry cannot live in the same heart. They are mutually exclusive. That's one of the ways that we manage anxiety is we start to worship God for who he is. We declare things that are the promises instead of the problems. And our heart, it just doesn't have room for worry and it pushes it out, just pushes it right out of there. Now here's what I want to uh, say to you. You have to keep your eyes on Jesus. The one thing that's needed is him. You take your eyes off of him, you start to fear. It's exactly what happened to Peter when he was walking on the water. He was looking at Jesus, then he looked at the waves and the wind, and he started to sink, and he cried out for help. He took his eyes off of Jesus. Here's my application. One, be aware of emotional triangles. Be aware when you're creating them and trying to triangle somebody in because you don't want to do the hard thing that needs to happen with the other person. Be aware when someone's trying to pull you in and stop the triangle by going back down the way that the person is coming. Watch that. Two, study the promises of God more than the problems. When you're feeling that anxiety, just say those things that are true. God, you're in charge. God, you love me, and you're all-powerful. God, this didn't surprise you. Your kingdom is never in trouble. God, the universe is a safe place. These and a hundred other promises, study those. And then when you're praying, pray the full range of emotions to God. Tell him how you're feeling. God, I'm really angry this morning. God, I feel frustrated that that didn't work out better. God, I prayed for how long and where were you? I'm irritated with that. He's big enough. He can handle that. It will help you. Pray like the psalmists do. Pray that way with God. And may he help us as a people become emotionally healthy. Let's pray now to him. Lord, thank you for the, the precious gift that the church is to each one of us, a family of families. Lord, would you protect it you protect it by your truth. Father, for anyone in here this morning who's struggling with anxiety, would you let your peace come? Would you speak a word of goodness into that situation? Heal us, Lord, for you love us. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.